This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. From baseball's top personalities. The great Chris Russo joins us once again. To the game's top players. Joining us is the all-star. Matt Chapman with us. You never know what stories you're going to hear. If you make your way down here, I, I might be able to make some time and go out there and see the great Chris Townsend. This is A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Welcome to another edition of A's Unfiltered. I'm Chris Townsend. And today you're going to hear from Jesus Lazardo. Liam Hendricks, as they were getting ready for FanFest, and we were in the offices in Jack London Square. Doug Glanville wrote a great piece on The Athletic about Mike Fires and the difference between hitters and pitchers when it comes to this code in the clubhouse. And then one of the top play-by-play guys in the business, he does play-by-play for ESPN, Boog Shambi is going to be with us. But first, let's start with Jesus Lazardo. You guys love him. And this kid has unbelievable talent. Got a chance to catch up with him at the A's offices. Jesus Lazardo, good to see you. Good to see you. You know, we're just saying it. You know, oh, Jesus coming down. And we're going to talk about, hard to believe, the 2020 baseball season. Yeah. No, I mean, we're definitely excited. And, uh, you know, we have uh, a lot going for us this year. And and we're ready to get going. You know, I talked with Matt Chapman earlier. And just the excitement that is with this team right now. You know, after the wild card game, winning 97 games, just talk about the expectations for this team and the growth of this team in 2020. You know, I think we we have a, a, a great team and a, a young team mixed with, you know, some older guys, some veterans, and I think we have a lot of fun. We have a lot of fun while we play and in the clubhouse, and uh, we have a great group of guys, and we're, we're looking forward to it. We, we have to grow a little bit and, and, and come together, but I think if, if all goes well, we have a great shot of bringing the title home this year. You know, when you start, and I love how you, admit, you, you talked about that because that has to be the goal. I always hate and I used to do a, a, a Raiders show with a guy named Bill Romanowski who won four Super Bowl rings. And he always used to say, I can't stand when people say you just want to win the division. Because once you win the division, as a human being, you go, well, I did what I sought out to do. He says, no, you always got to think about, and Bill Walsh, the great football coach, always talked about, it's about winning the Super Bowl. Anything else? And Derek Cheater talks about that. It's all about winning the World Series. And I like how you mentioned that because that has to be the goal because your team is talented enough. Yeah, I definitely think we're talented enough, and, and I think everyone in that clubhouse knows that we are. So uh, at the end of the day, that's our goal, and, and you know, you always want to strive to be the best. So I think that we all have the same mentality that that is uh, our goal. Yeah, and I think about the talent that you guys have, and everywhere you look, we know the team hits a lot of home runs. They're going to score runs. But the thing as a pitcher I think you have to love is the fact that you have one of the best defenses behind you, and your infield defense is just spectacular. 
Yeah, I mean, I can't I can't talk highly enough about, you know, all the guys that we have behind us, um, whether they're coming off the bench or they're the starters, it doesn't matter. You know, every, everyone behind me or as a pitcher, anyone that's on the mound, you know, you have a lot of confidence in them. And, and we, you know, we have faith in them that any ball hit their way, uh, they're going to go and track down and, and get the job done. So uh, it's great to know that as a pitcher. You know, I think about your offseason. This had to be a very unique offseason for you from the standpoint of you don't have to worry about your health. You're healthy. You don't have to worry about service time. You know, am I going to make it? Am I not going to make it? Am I pitch really well? Will I still have to go to AAA? What's this offseason been like for you, knowing that you are going to be at the big league level? I mean, I think it's really important to me that, you know, I just kind of went back and, and kind of fine-tuned my body a little bit, and I kind of realized what I have to do to hopefully, uh, you know, be healthy for a full season. And I'm feeling good now, feeling great. So I just want to keep that going, and hopefully that continues throughout 2020. What are your expectations? Because I know they talk to you before you leave, and, the, you know, we've had Scott Emerson on a couple times. I know he communicates with you guys in, in, in the off season. So when you start talking about expectations and goals set for yourself, what are they for 2020? I mean, personally, I, I think uh, I just – want to help the team win I'll do anything that you know whatever they ask of me is I want to help the team win whatever role that is uh, whatever they ask me to do uh, anything that that helps the team in a better position and and you know helps us win at the end of the day like you said a world series everybody works on something in the off season, right everybody's working on something what have you worked on I'm really just working on uh, just kind of fine-tuning my mechanics and and just kind of going back to who I am and realizing what I need to do, like I said, to stay healthy for a full 2020. So uh, that's what I would, I would say I'm really focused on is my mechanics. So when you talk to Scott Emerson in the off season, like he calls you up, what, what's the conversation like? It's really just, I mean, Emo's very, very easygoing and, and you know, he's a great pitching coach. And um, so I just, I, we have a lot of confidence and, you know, he's asking me how I'm feeling, how I'm doing, what I'm working on, stuff like that. And, you know, we kind of relay the message there. And uh, that's ba that's basically it. Nothing too in-depth. Um, just kind of basically going over what I'm doing, how I'm feeling. So, And everything's been going well. So, thankfully, you know, we haven't had much to talk about. So, I, I think about in an off season. you know, obviously you say you're preparing your body to be able to go for, you know, basically seven months because you got to count spring training. But when you when you when you get back to throwing, when do you start to throw? Whether it's flat ground, maybe getting on the mound. Take me through that process in the off season because you also need to rest. Yeah, I would say you you know you take about it depends every every pitcher is different, but uh, anywhere from like eight ten weeks is what I would do of rest and just kind of you kind of work up from there. Um, it, starting December, you start to ramp up a little bit. January, you get on the mound. So uh, by the time you're there in February, you know, you're kind of ready to go and, and, and healthy for, for spring. Yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun because we've been talking about it on this show. If you look at all the arms that you have right now, and then you look at all the arms that are going to be in AAA, Fran Reardon is going to have a very good state. You know these guys better than anybody. I met Caprellian for the first time today. I mean, the staff not only here, but the staff in Vegas is going to be loaded. Yeah, I mean, we have guys, um, you know, just for days. We The guys in AAA are, I can't speak highly enough about. I mean, we have Parker Dunchy, Brian Howard, Caprilli, and Dalton Jeffries. I mean, the names just keep going. And these are guys that I think could compete for a big league job right now. So having them in AAA and, and you know, at some point, hopefully in the big leagues this year, um, I think that's big. And it kind of, you know, motivates everyone. What was it like pitching in Las Vegas where you have thin air – I mean, ball flies in the desert. 
and you're using the Major League Baseball that we all joked it was juiced, 2,000 more home runs were hit at the AAA le- level than ever before. What was it like pitching down in Las Vegas? I feel like it definitely uh, taught me how to pitch a little bit more. Um, I got, you know, I got a little bit of that taste in Nashville, but Nashville wasn't too bad. And then you get to go to Las Vegas, you learn how to pitch down, you learn how to miss barrels a little bit more. And I think that actually helped me uh, when I got to the big leagues. It just kind of gave me more confidence that if you can pitch in Las Vegas or in the PCL, you can pitch anywhere. (laughs) I mean, you think about that, it's like how tough it is to be able to pitch. You might say it might be even easier to pitch in the big leagues than it is at AAA. Yeah, some some people joke about that. Some people go and they rehab in the PCL and they say, "I can't wait to get out of here and go to go to the big leagues to pitch because it's." I mean, it is a tough league and and it definitely humbles you sometimes. But um, I, I'm glad I got the experience there. And I think about you being a big part. You know, just talk about the excitement for you, 2020, for you personally, knowing that this is a playoff ready team and you're going to play a huge role in that. Yeah, I mean, I'm extremely, you know, humbled and blessed, and I'm just extremely excited to get going and and to be surrounded by such a great group of guys and and guys that you know I kind of look up to and I look at them as sometimes mentors and also as friends of mine and you know going out there and competing and having fun with them at the same time being able to contribute and and do what I can to hopefully help the team win. So I'm just very excited. How much of this new age technology, whether it's the cameras, Rapsodo, the radar. How much do you utilize for your game? Some people love it, some people don't. I, I wouldn't say I'm a huge fan of like the analytical side of baseball. I definitely look at that and, and watch video on myself and kind of break down. And I sometimes do become a little bit of a nerd about baseball, but um, I wouldn't say I use it too much. It's more of just kind of break down video for, of me, and, and, uh, but not too much the analytical side and the spin rate and all that stuff. I don't use that too much. Yeah, so, you know, some people, they're like, I don't want to say addicted to it, but they rely so much on it. And I've heard some old school guys say, yeah, that's great. You have spin rate, but do you get people out? Yeah, at the end of the day, I, like you said, I, I kind of just focus on, I mean, as long as I break my video down and, uh, I mean, if everything's going well, as long as you're getting people out, I think that that's the most important part. Well, I'll tell you what, you, you're quickly a fan favorite. Because you're one of those guys that up here at the big league level, we've heard so much about he's going to show up. And it's it's like the it's like the toy at Christmas. You can't wait to open it up. Well, you finally showed up and you showed us your ability and your talent and the relationship you're, 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 you're creating with the fan base. I think it's got to be pretty special for you. Yeah, it's definitely special. And I'm, you know, I'm extremely blessed that I got to this team and, you know, I was kind of received uh, like I was with the Oakland fans and, and by my teammates. So I'm just happy to be here. And I'm extremely blessed that, you know, we have such a great fan base. And, um, you know, I just I love the city of Oakland. Well, hey, thank you so much for stopping by. Enjoy Fan Fest tomorrow. We'll see you down at spring training. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Let's hope this is the big breakout season for Hayes Lucizardo. He's got ace-like stuff. He's got ace-like qualities. He is special. Speaking of special, there's nobody more special than Liam Hendricks. Can't say it enough. What this guy does for people, he cares so much for people and helping out in so many different ways. Oh, yeah, and he's an all-star. Here's your closer, Liam Hendricks. There's our guy, Liam Hendricks, getting some national love. Yeah, you know me. I'm always on the radio for whatever reason. I mean, it's uh, it's an easy question, but they ran out of. I don't know. They were never going to run out of questions because I can just talk for hours. You know this. 
Oh, yeah, but it was a great interview. I think that had to be a lot of fun for you. Yeah, it was actually really cool. We did it at a local uh, down at FGCU where I've been working out, the uh, Florida Gulf Coast University. And it, it was a really cool experience just going down there, talking to the, talking to the guys on that show. And it was it was pretty it was pretty cool. I just being able to talk about just off season stuff and charitable stuff and and just avoiding certain things as well. Well, that's the thing about you is when you start talking about all the different things you're involved in. You know, not every player. You know, if you're going to talk to a guy for an hour, there's only so much you can say. Hey, what are you doing this off season? You've got a lot to talk about and a lot to promote, and you could really tell that they were really engaged during the interview. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, um, they had Blake Trinan on the week before. They had him on for 15 minutes and me on for an hour. I think they actually asked Blake more questions. So, and <laughs> it just goes into the way I elaborate on the answer a lot. So, so I I think about your off season and listening to that interview talking about you went back home to Australia and just the the devastation of one of the worst fires this planet has ever seen and I know you're talking about being I think you were at the opera one day and then the next day you saw footage you couldn't even see it because there was so much smoke just talk about what's been happening back home it's just devastating yeah so we did the opera house um, one of the days and we did the bridge walk the other day which is a really cool experience if you ever get out there to do the uh, Sydney Harbour Bridge so we did that and then we took some photos that night of uh, just across the bay underneath the bridge across to uh, the opera house and three days later all of a sudden you couldn't see the opera house the smoke was that that dense so it's uh it's been a, it's it's terrible over there. What's going on? I mean, the weather's shifted so much. It went from raging fires with 100 degree weather all of a sudden to 70 degrees and hailing and hail the size of a tennis ball coming down. So, it's they've had some uh, some crazy weather switches. I think they're getting a little bit of rain right now, which is which is huge for that. Just trying to uh, tamp down on the embers. Which I I found this interesting was the fact that uh, embers can travel up to three and a half miles from the actual fire, the origin of the fire. So, that's been the biggest issue. Is not the not necessarily the hot weather or the drought. It's been the fact that the embers are so hard and the wind was so high that everything was going all over the place. So you can only you can't spread yourself too thin with a fire because, at the end of the day, it's just it's it's insane. Like uh, there was a story out of Perth where I'm from that a guy was driving down the road and his trailer tire popped and the sparks from that he stopped within 50 yards and the sparks from that caused a fire that took them five days to put out. And it's just like it's just that happenstance of completely accident. He, this guy was mortified to go through this. And it's just, it's a sad case of like, there's so many things that such a little thing can spark so much devastation. Yeah. And to think all the humans and all the animals affected, and this is, I mean, just trying to get this fire out. It's just, it's when you, when you, when you see the news or you read about it, it's just, oh my, the devastation is just, it's, it's beyond sad. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's uh, there's a lot that there's a lot that goes into it that uh, from logistics wise about trying to put all this stuff out. But it doesn't help that this year was the highest recorded average temperature in Australia by a degree and a half, and that's in Celsius. So it's not even close to being like it was just that hot all year. So there wasn't as much rain, which cools it down a little bit. There wasn't as much anything going on. It was just hot and windy, and they're the perfect circumstances because everything in Australia is fire conducive. So the trees. Everything, the bushes and stuff like that, they need to be kind of control burned every now and then just to make sure that they, they grow healthier if they have a little bit of a burn every now and then. It just grows healthier. And uh, unfortunately, it grew wild. And, and um, this, is, this has been some of, the, uh, some of the issues with it all. But at the end of the day, it's uh, no matter what the cause, no matter what the rationale behind anything like this, it's, it's just devastating for not only the wildlife, but every, every person who's lost homes, lost their lives, lost just their, their, their well-being, their livelihood. It's just uh, there was a photo of, a, I think it was a 10-year-old boy on a dinghy 
like driving away from in the in the middle of smoke both his parents are volunteer firefighters who are out there fighting the fires and he's got a bunch of their belongings in a in a dinghy that he's uh, a backboard motor that he's steering they're just trying to trying to get away i mean when it's that close to the ocean that's when you know something something's up because it doesn't happen that often yeah that is that that is just sad devastating uh looking at basically your year and a little more than a year was wild and we've talked about it before but you're you're the starter of a wild card game you know and then you're you're the closer i mean this point in your career now that you've had some time to sit back and you're going to the all-star game this offseason when you, when you look back at what had happened to you over just the course of a year what, what do you think yeah i think it it's still unbelievable in the fact of the way it turned around i mean i kind of went back to my went back to the roots and went back to the way i got successful in the beginning but never in my wildest dreams did i imagine that the season i had last year would have transpired like it was something that i that wasn't on the radar i was just trying to literally last year i was playing to try and get a job the next year like i was at the all-star game talking with certain a couple guys about like oh yeah my first offer was this my first offer was that i'm like yeah i'm just hoping to be tendered a contract at the end of the year like i'm just hoping to have a job like this is this is my goal and they're talking ludicrous amounts of money but for me it's just it, the money doesn't come into it for me it's just like i want to be successful in in what i'm doing but at the end of the day success is based on your own perception so there's there's a ton of things that i can say that i had a really successful year last year and there's a lot of things that i can say that i need to do better so i mean i had what seven blown saves i think of the seven blown saves i had that's unacceptable that's not good enough i only had 32 chances 32 chances i think it was and i had 25 saves where a couple of those were coming in with guys on base in the seventh inning or anything like that before I kind of took over the role. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what situation arises. That's that's way too many, and I need to work on that. And there's certain things that I can, I've can i been doing all offseason to try and better myself. So Liam has his white home jersey on, and I just noticed something. For the first time, there's a Nike swoosh on the front of the jersey. This has never happened before. That's It's, it's odd to see. Yeah, I think it's uh, it it's done relatively tastefully. I was yeah. worried when the when Nike took over the thing uh, that it would kind of be a little bit egregious, but it came over well. I think it doesn't take away from too much. I'm just hoping that it's a little thick, so I'm hoping it's it's a little bit more malleable than it is right now, so it doesn't affect. Because I always, no matter what happens, like the logos, I scratch myself on them. I don't know how. I don't know what. Like that 50th logo a couple years ago. I scratched myself on that every time I threw. Like, it was just the way I threw, and then I'd bring my arm back, and there'd be marks on the inside of my arm. It's just it's the little things that really annoy you, doesn't it? Oh, the world is a-changing. I mean, we see it, like, in <laughs> basketball. I mean, I've never seen that in baseball, so it's interesting to see that for the first time. I think a lot of fans are going to go, huh. I mean, yeah, it's tastefully done, and it's not like you're – once you – once you see it, you probably won't even really notice it after that. Yeah, a couple of weeks into the season, it it'll just be part and parcel. I mean, it's um, I'm interested to see the pants if they do something on along the same way with the pants, like a Nike swoosh or something like that, because all the colleges they always have that little Nike swoosh on along the pants, and hopefully that's not uh, not too bad because I tend to like I tend to stretch my pants out a little bit, so I don't want to like snap the Nike logo and all of a sudden it looks like I've <laughs> worn the same pair of pants for the last four years. So. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they're taking it over. I mean, I'm excited to see how it goes. Obviously, I'm an Adidas guy, so I can't endorse it too much. But, it, uh, yeah, I think they, they did a good job in, in that. But, yeah, Adidas has the NHL, which I'm more into right now anyway. So, <laughs> Well, you know, I think about your teammates. And I've been telling this story. I, I ran into Chapman earlier in the kitchen, 
and just how excited he is for the season. There's something about you guys where you won 97 games, you lost that wild card game. You guys, I just got that feeling that this offseason, you guys were so hungry. Now you're getting together for the first time since that wild card game. Just what is it like, the feeling about the excitement of 2020 for you and your teammates? Yeah, I'm always hungry, whether it be on the field or off the field. I'm just always hungry. But for us, it's like there's that definite thing that we, we don't want to, even if we get to the wild card game or anything like that next year, I'm not putting anything out there, but like we know what we need to do and we're not satisfied with just a one game we're every year now we're coming into this thing looking to win a trophy and that's that's the bill and anything else will be a disappointment we've got the guys on the team that can get it done we've got the uh the staff we've got the rotation i mean it's we got a bunch of young kids that did some special things last year that we're excited to see in a full season depending on how innings limits and all that work out but yeah we've uh we've got a good team i think it uh for us our season the last couple of years has mainly been based on the, the first two months of the season. And that's what we really need to focus on, coming out of the gates hot, not giving another team a chance to get a, get a decent lead on us in the standings. And, I mean, it's, at the end of the day, it, it may be a marathon, but we need to sprint out of the gates because the last couple of years have been, have been bad from that point of view where we're setting ourselves so far behind, it's almost impossible to catch up. Yeah, I, I'm glad you bring that up because that's going to be a big thing for me in spring training when we're talking about the 2020 season is – you know, teams are winning 107, 106, 103. You know, 97 pretty much gets you in a wild card game. If this team, which is you're pretty much bringing the same team back, which I think is big, the continuity's already there. You don't have to build it. If you get out of the gates fast, now we could be talking over 100 wins. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, 100 wins these days is like 95 years ago. With the amount of teams that are just being non-competitive, it's uh, it's – there's so many there's so many wins out there for those for certain teams to be able to boost that little thing. So we need to make sure we take advantage of some of the teams that aren't going out there trying to win, and we need to take advantage of going against guys that are, that are trying to win and making sure that they they're threatened by us every time they come to the Coliseum or every time we go there. We don't want a team to be comfortable no matter what. Whether it's a hard fought game, whether it's a win or a loss, we need to make sure that everything every time we play a team, they don't want to play us, and that's the way that's the mentality we have, and that's the way we're going to go out there. We're going to be a we're going to try and be our best animals on the field and do what we can. So you're the king of long toss. And I'm, I'm curious for a guy like you, how much time you take off? When do you start throwing? When is it the flat ground long toss leading to being on the mound? How does the offseason work for you? So I took about two weeks off of throwing this year. So I, uh, about mid-October, I started getting back out there, went down to FGCU, and been lucky enough to the, the, those guys have been really accommodating with me getting guys out there in the morning to help me throw and stuff like that so yeah i started in mid-october i've thrown a few bullpens i threw a live vp on um on thursday i think it was oh for uh wednesday sorry and um yeah so i had got some hitters in the box getting a feel for the for the game out again but yeah i don't i don't stop throwing very often i uh i suffer a couple of weeks and then straight back into it i just don't want to lose that feel like obviously last year i did the same thing last off season that i did this off season and Seem to work out all right. So it's just uh, kind of staying in what works and uh, and not changing anything else. You know, one of the great things about your story is you went Frank Sinatra. I'm going to do it my way. And you did it your way, and it worked. That's got to be so gratifying. I know you're hungry, and you don't always like to talk about it, but you got to feel really good that, you know what, I went back to what I do best. I went back to my roots, and it worked. Yeah, for me, it wasn't. I wasn't trying to get – successful i just wanted to be if i'm out of the game i want to go out on my terms i don't want to go out being like oh well they had this throwing program for me this is what i did this is my strength program i want to do exactly what i did that got me to the big leagues 
And for me, it's just going out there and, and making sure that whatever I do, I agree with it. Like I don't, I don't need someone else telling me what I do. This is the reasoning. If I don't like it, I don't like it. I want to do what I need to do. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's bad because you get a little stubborn in your and set in your ways. But for me, it's uh, it seemed to play out. But unfortunately, I think I may have lost my throwing partner now. I played catch with Sorry last year, but for some reason, I have a feeling he's gonna he's gonna snag Petit and they're gonna do the same thing. So the bullpen catches are already gonna be pretty much hating me because I had to steal those guys <laughs> last year. So I think I almost blew out Dowdy's shoulder last year playing catch. So we'll have a we'll have a, like a little guy in the middle and. I'll throw it all the way in, and then they'll double it out back to me. But, <laughs> yeah, uh, it'll be interesting to get that at spring training and see how old the guys are. Well, I'll tell you what. You're one of the best human beings I've ever covered. I mean, I think about all the work that you and your wife do, and you've even mentioned it sometimes maybe you, you maybe do a little too much. But the fact that, you know, you want to make this world a better place before you leave it and all the things you do it's just it's spectacular keep doing it because you're a really special guy and it's great having you here with the A's thank you I appreciate it at the end of the day everything we do on the field is just what we're we're just gaining kind of traction for what we're trying to do off the field and I don't like as I've always said this but I don't necessarily want to be known as the best player on the field it's great to be noticed as that but I want to be known as a good human being and I'll be noticed as someone who enlightened the days of people just in passing on the street or anything like that I just want to be known as a good person and that's what I'm doing my my best to do Liam no doubt is a friend of the program he's been on more than any other a and it's by a lot he always loves coming on and we love having him well, Mike Fires. a lot of people have been talking about him. A lot of people are happy that Mike Fires stepped out and talked about the Houston Astros and confirmed the story. And then there's some people that have criticized him for it. Not everybody's going to love it. I can tell you at FanFest, everybody loves Mike Fires. He got the biggest reception of anybody. A's fans, no doubt, have his back. And then Doug Glanville in The Athletic, you also see him on ESPN former player, really good player, become a great analyst, wrote a piece about, you know, there's a difference between hitters and pitchers, especially when you may have left the team not on the best terms. Here is Doug Glanville talking about the Astros and Mike Fires. Doug, thank you so much for joining A's Cast Live. Uh, great article you wrote about the culture inside the clubhouse you know, players changing all the time, and obviously this goes down to Mike Fires and what happened with the Astros. We have Fan Fest tomorrow, so Mike Fires is here in our offices today. He's going to address it, but thank you for coming on, and we love the article. Yeah, I appreciate you having me. It's, uh, you know, exciting times, but at the same time, we have uh, a lot of concerns about the game, and uh, one of your, your players there is right in the middle of the firestorm, so we'll see how this goes. You know, I actually had a conversation today with Billy Bean, and, you know, the A's were one of the teams, one of the early teams to complain to Major League Baseball about the Astros, and there was plenty of teams after the A's to complain. As a player, and you know that so many different guys are going to come in and out of that clubhouse over the years, the fact that it was so openly done, how could you really think it was never going to get out? Yeah, well, exactly. And, and I think, you know, you talk about the, you know, sort of uh, the chain of command when it comes to complaints. And most times players like Fires talked about, you know, you might try to help your team. You're aware of what teams are doing. 
and you try to defend against it, right? You change your signs, you try all that. And once you realize that it's gotten to this level where, you know, you're, you're breaching rules and the protocols and technology, then it starts to become an issue, especially as around the league, you talk, you know, players talk, you can say, oh, what's going on? Oh, yeah. and, and when something is that far afield, the, the conversation just becomes, starts to cross over organizations. <laughs> and, and clearly it was off the rails uh, by the extent by which they were employing this technology. So uh, you try to work you know, inside, and, and then eventually it got to the stage where you know, you know, Mike Fires just said, hey, look, I've got I to gotta go to the, the next level here, talk to the media about it, and you know, here we are now. Where do you weigh in on that? for Mike Fires telling his teammates and then backing up the story to the athletic that, Hey, these guys were cheating. Well, I understand when you don't feel like something's getting addressed and, you know, and you feel like internally you're trying to defend against it, but then you realize that it's to this extent. So I understand how it sort of progressed to that. I, I, I wrote an article basically saying how Mike Fires was inevitable Right? Because you think about this, this scheme, it is pitchers against hitters to some degree. And although you're playing against the other team in the other dugout, this type of scheme divides pitchers and hitters. Because how does this benefit pitchers? Other than maybe you might win a World Series. But for the most part, the hitters are just laughing their way to arbitration. They're sitting there knowing what's coming. And, and as a pitcher you have to separate the fact that, yes, you're loyal to your organization, but you're also a professional. You have a profession to keep intact that has a certain level of credibility and integrity that goes with it. And when you know it's getting cheapened by this slanted battle between pitcher and hitter now that, that all of a sudden is tilted in favor of the hitters, you're going to have a concern outside of your organization. I mean, most, most pitchers in that situation are looking at this like, yeah, this is, this is a little bit concerning. Yes, it's helping us, but... I'm a little worried because I'm a pitcher and I'm watching these guys get called up and get knocked around and people don't know what to do and they're trying to figure it out. One day I may be on that in the other dugout, which is typical in baseball, right? You're, very rarely you get to stay in the same organization. And, of course, it's fair game when you're on the other team. You're going to use what you can to try to communicate how to beat a team. And if one of those factors is that they're using signs and technology, you know, it's got to be part of the equation. So, you know, pitchers could have never kept this secret, okay? There's no way a pitcher can sit idly on this for forever, knowing that it's absolutely delegitimizing their profession. And something to think about, too, with Mike Fires is I had somebody in baseball, because they came to me about the situation, but I don't think they really knew Mike Fires' situation. It's not like Mike Fires was pitching Game Seven for the Astros, and he was—he led them in innings that year, and then they kept him off the playoff roster. He didn't pitch one inning, didn't play in one game, and then he leaves. So it's not like he's a career Astro, and it's not like—and and we're going to find out Mike's going to talk today. But it's—it's—I mean, it's possible he parted ways with Houston, and there wasn't the best of relationships there. No, I mean, and, you know, I know that, you know, criticism has been thrown around about talking about it, like, okay, you could blow the whistle, so to speak, while you're there, and Pedro Martinez, there's been a lot of comments, but, but the challenge is, there's times that you get away from an organization, you just have a different perspective, you know, especially when you're trying to beat them, or you look at it, and, and so when you, for example, he goes to Detroit, and he's now a mentor, and he's like, wow, these guys are really frustrated, you watch young pitchers, you're trying to groom, and all of a sudden, they 
are, you know, getting in this unfair battle between these, you know, uh, experienced hitters. So, you know, there's no question you start to soul search. And just like when you retire, you start to look at it differently. So I can see how this trajectory went this way. I know when he pitched against the Astros, it didn't, it didn't go very well. And eventually you probably reach the tipping point, uh, especially when, you know, they've had the Astros has had so they've had so much success and they're in the 2019 World Series and all these concerns and all the stuff that's going on. Uh, I, I just think that after a while, any pitcher, whether it's Fires or someone else in that circumstance, would have eventually uh, brought it to light. And, and something that we've talked about here, and obviously A's fans are not happy about this, we're division rivals, is how big this scheme is, right? I mean, this is not like A.J. Hinch or Alex Cora. They're going out and buying the cameras and, and buying the TVs, and then they're, they're setting it up. I mean, this is a whole – or someone has to set up the technology. Someone has to show you how to use the te- – I mean, there's so many people involved, but yet only four people got popped. Right. Well, I mean, there's, there's a lot to that. I mean, you know, for, for starters, I mean, you think on the player side – there's a lot of challenges there with trying to suspend and, you know, because you have, first of all, you have the players association, there's certain collectively bargain when you're involving jobs and suspensions and fines. That's one major issue. Uh, what, what was exchanged to get the information for players, you know, immunity, things along those lines. So there's, there's a lot of compromises that have to be made or that were made to try to get at the facts. So, so that's, you know, certainly part of the landscape of, you know, where this can go and, and what's next. But of course, the idea of stealing signs is absolutely part of the game. That's why you have signs, because you're protecting, knowing that people are going to try to steal them. So there's an element that's what I would call like the analog side of it, right? You give signs, you're on second base. If you're just not protecting your signs, your catcher's tipping it, fine, that's fair game. It's the technology that became the issue. It's the use of real-time technology and abusing the in-game feeds and the replay system. That's where it became an issue. Sign stealing is, is part of the game. It's part of the game. You, you, that's, you know, we talked about it all the time coming up before all the you know, iPhones, everything. like that. that was my era. So, so that's where the Astros took it to the place where it got to be this you know, epidemic issue, right? Because you have the technology that you're using in real time and then communicating it in real time uh, to gain advantage. And that's, that's, you know, beyond fair play. And that's exactly why it's, it's come down this hard. I think about your colleague, Alex Rodriguez. And if you used his playbook, cause Alex got popped, Alex lied and he lied over and over and over again, but finally he realized he had to own it. He did it. He said he was sorry. And it's just the way we, you know, a player gets torn down, and then once he says sorry and owns it, we build him back up. And now A Rod's one of the faces of baseball, doing Fox pre and post game for the postseason, Sunday night baseball for ESPN. The reason why Alex has all of that now is because he said sorry. And, and I'm wondering how the Astros are truly going to end up handling this once they get to spring training. Well, I, I, I read a, a recent article uh, saying that they're, you know, planning in spring training to acknowledge things. So that, that would be a big step. Uh, there's a lot of things that people need to understand, want to understand about it. And you know, they're going to be in the crosshairs of that uh, discussion. And they have an opportunity to really dig into uh, something that will give people more hope, will give some optimism back uh, in terms of the fairness that's required to the, for this game. And look, if you can't reward people that are 
you know, doing it right, playing it straight. And you can't, if you're blocking their path to be able to achieve the pinnacle of your profession, then your game is broken, you know, because it can't be just about who has the best pharmacist in the PEDs, who has the best hacker. You know, you can't, you can't reduce the game to these shortcuts. Uh, as my dad used to say, he was from Trinidad, said shortcuts lead to long cuts. <laughs> you know, so, and, I, and, I, and so I was always concerned that we're oversimplifying because you're, you're analyzing it to this point where you're getting algorithms, you're desensitizing yourself to the humanity of the game. And it's got to be, you have to be able to achieve greatness in this sport, any sport, by, by organically being able to accomplish it through fair play. If, if, and if you're not supporting that, then you might as well be playing a video game. You know, I, I think a lot of players try and be analysts, and not everybody's great at it. I can tell you, you've transitioned so well. I love listening to you. I love watching on television, now reading you. Uh, really appreciate your work. It's been a lot of fun watching you go from a player to an analyst. Yeah, I really appreciate that, and it means a lot. I, I love baseball, and I've been very fortunate to find different ways to engage the sport. And now in my post-career uh, so I'm still sharing the love. I care about the game. That's why I wrote the article. That's why, you know, I want to see it, you know, land on its feet. But um, you got to call it what it is. You got to call it out uh, before you can even address it. And I think the game is, you know, gonna have to take some big steps, and they will. Hey, we really appreciate the time, and let's do this again soon. Anytime. Give me a shout. His piece hit the nail on the head. No question about it. From one analyst to a play-by-play guy. You hear him doing ESPN. He also does television for ESPN. He's one of their top baseball broadcasters. Here is the legend, Boog Shambi. Boog, thank you for coming on A's Cast Live. We appreciate the time. My pleasure. I hope I'm out there, too. Yeah, we, you know, so we're actually in the offices today of the A's, and it's Fan Fest tomorrow. And so we're, we've been talking to a lot of the players there is a lot of excitement heading into 2020. You know, two straight years of winning 97 games, two straight years of losing in the wild card game. You could tell these players, they've been hungry this offseason. They're ready to go, and they don't want to be in that wild card game again. Yeah, and I, I think, I mean, look, most years, you know, that win total, and you have yourself a really good chance to win a division. So, um, you know, unfortunately, they played in a division with another really good team. Um, and that team's going to be good again this year. But um, I just, I, I think that, yeah, I, I do think that, you know, a lot of what, um, you know, what you're looking at for this for this coming year is, is going to be, you know, the development of the younger pitching. But, uh, man, they catch it well. And the offense is, I might even say underrated. So I'm I'm looking forward to watching, you know, Murphy get a, a ton of at bats as, as well. Yeah, you know the one the one hallmark now of a Bob Melvin team. You know, we talk so much about power. Of course, they're going to hit the ball in the ballpark, but defense still plays. They're a terrific defensive team, and for the first time in a while, Boog. You know, there hasn't really been much movement. We know who the team's going to be. We know who the yeah. starting pitching's going to be, and I, I haven't been able to say that for years. Yeah, no doubt. I I, I, I totally get you. I mean, it's uh, it's it's way it's way more interesting when your team has some some consistency and and they're yeah, it's it's pretty pretty well the same group as what we saw last year. 
You know, and I think about the Houston Astros. They still have a ton of talent. We know that. Vegas has them uh, over and under 97 wins. But there's a lot of chaos there. There's going to be a lot of chaos throughout the season. And it's tough to, it's, it's tough to be great when you have chaos all around you. What do you think this year is going to be like for the Houston Astros? It's a great question. And it's funny because I – yeah, I'm a I'm – a, I'm a numbers head. I've always been a big Bill James guy. I've, you know, appreciated, you know, what Billy Bean has done throughout his time there and looking at things from, you know, as objective a perspective as you possibly can. That said, I truly do buy into the idea that that Astros team is, I mean, they're going to feel it. They're going to, I mean, so far they've not handled it well. I know it was just a little fan fest thing, but they're going to be asked and asked and asked and asked. Um, And there's definitely a chance that it could be a distraction and, and, you know, get under some guy's skin. They're still super talented. Like, you know, it can be both. I think that it can bother them and, you know, and undercut them a little bit. I don't think it, 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 it can be, a deciding factor, but look, the last three years, I think they were the best team all three years, each of the three years, they were the best team. Um, even last year with, or even in 18 with Boston, I still felt that the Astros were the best team, but I, I look at, you know, what they're going to have to deal with this year. And it, it's, it's going to be interesting. It's, it truly will be a test of, you know, how do you get your, your head around, you know, the how much an intangible factor is going to affect the performance of the team. And then I think about the Red Sox. You're Heim Bloom. You take this job. You got to fire your manager. It's starting to seem more and more like you got to trade your best player. What a rough and they have and, and they haven't even played a game under his management. What a rough start for Heim Bloom so far as running the baseball ops for the Boston Red Sox. I mean, yes and no. I, I think that I, I'm sure, it, it, you know, I don't know Heim very well, but my guess would be um, he'd give you a pretty pithy answer in terms of, I came from Tampa, man. Like, we're used to trading away guys and trimming payroll and for it looking bleak. Um, I, my guess is that he's probably, specifically Heim to come into this setting, he's probably pretty excited. And if, if, he trades uh, Mookie away, which I think would stink, by the way. I, I, I will say that, you know, Mookie, Lindor, you know, and those are different size marketplaces, but what are we doing? I mean, the whole point is to draft slash sign and develop guys like that and then keep them. So, what, I mean, I, it just – that one's a little – frustrating i love watching both those guys play i'd like to see them stay put but uh i don't think that that the Sox will be quite as bad as everyone thinks now there's rumors about the padres and the red Sox. i'm not sure if you trade mookie that you still have to take david price but just hypothetically if the padres are able to get, let's just say, Price and Mookie Betts, and they give up the prospects and Will Myers, do you think they'd have any shot against the Dodgers, who have not done a lot this offseason? You mean to win the division? Correct. 
A shot, yeah. Would I, I like? But I, I really, really want to answer that question. No, I don't think they'd have a, a, much of a chance. I don't. I don't. I, I, I don't think. But let, put it this way, you know, even you know, Mookie at his best. I don't. The difference between the Dodgers and the Padres is gigantic. It's not, you know, it's not a a seven war player. Like as crazy as that, like just adding a seven, like it's not, it's bigger than that. So I, I, you know, other things can happen and and I guess it would be possible, but nah, I don't, the Dodgers are winning that division. And before we let you go, we had your colleague on Buster Olney, who, by the way, we love listening to you on the podcast. And I, and I also like how he, he always calls you the legend. That that is the most I love that he calls me that because it is so ridiculous that my dumbass can I say that I just did um, <laughs> that, that that he would refer to me in that manner with all of the legends uh, that have you know broadcast games uh, in Major League Baseball so I take it I hope the way it's intended and that is tongue in cheek because I'm a buffoon. No, you're not. You're one of the best play-by-play guys. We love listening to you. Tell us about the 2020 Lake Monsters Winter Warmer, obviously our single A affiliate. Tell us about this event. So it's cool. I, You know, um, Kyle Bostwick uh, was just uh, reaching out. I know they're excited about it. We're going to get a chance to, you know, talk baseball and panel for them. I'm sure we'll talk about the, you know, the sign-stealing stuff and just the the sport in general. I'll be there with Buster, you know, who obviously hails from Vermont and another guy from Vermont, Galen Carr, uh, who worked previously for the Red Sox right out of college. I actually met Galen, you know, in the mid two thousands when I was broadcasting for the Braves and he had pro coverage for the Red Sox. And so I'd see him all the time, super sharp guys, the director of uh, player personnel for the Los Angeles Dodgers, again, a Vermont native. And uh, it should be a lot of fun. It's, it's, I'm, I'm excited and, you know, grateful they asked me to do it. It'll be cool. Hey, truly appreciate the time. We'll be listening to you all season long. We'd love to have you on again and uh, have fun at that event tomorrow. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, we want to thank all of our guests, Jesus Lazardo, Liam Hendricks, Dud Glanville, and Boog Shambi for coming on A's Unfiltered with Chris Townsend. Now, let's send it back to A's Cast, powered by TuneIn. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.